Hello and welcome back to We Not Me, the podcast where we explore how humans connect to get stuff done together. I'm Dan Hammond. And I am Peerly. You most certainly are. And how the devil are you? Are you a little bit... Have the waters subsided, Peer? Are you a little bit less damp than last time? Yes, a little. There's definitely a few. I was told by somebody, I've got springs appearing in my garden, which I can't quite work out, but there is pooling of water somewhere. and I don't know where it's coming. But I've been a mammoth community effort to help people, to help the clearing up get people back on their feet again. And I was super impressed by my little local community here in Burring Bar who are doing a retrospective. So they are asking everybody that was involved in any way during the cleanup and the support to come to the community hall. And they're asking the questions of what worked, what didn't work so well, what would we do better next time in order to prepare ourselves for an inevitable? So I was so impressed. I am like, I am booked you in. You are in. Was, you know, I am in. I am so heartened, not only by the, the way the communities come together, but by this thinking. You know, quite often we just think, God, that was awful. And then we get surprised when it yeah, comes back Yeah, exactly. Again. The water's gone. Great. That's great. Get this phrase we kept on hearing through the pandemic, back to normal. It's in a way dangerous because you just sort of move on through. And then guess what? There's another flood and we haven't learned. It's, it's, it seems to be that we're naturally inclined to do that. But for someone to be able to take that pause and say, no, let's stop and learn. I think that's, um, wow, impressive. Can't wait to hear how it goes, Pierre. Maybe we'll hear on another episode what the story was. But I will report back excellent excellent it's a lovely setup for our guest today who is talking about community actually he's uh, given much of his life to uh, improving the health of communities through his organizations so let's go over and hear from david now David, a really warm welcome to We Not Me. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. It's absolutely now we'll hear a little bit more about you in a moment, but as we start by torturing our guests with the good old card game. So as you know, I have three packs of cards in front of me. Red tricky, orange, okay, green reasonably easy questions about you and they're, they're sort of conversation starter cards so we're using for that exact purpose i'm going to pick a card at random from one of these packs which one would you like well i've been known to take the hard road so i'll go with the red we'll hear about the hard road a little bit later i think okay here is your card it's a good team on this this is a good team. i should have given feedback but i didn't yeah that's a really good question I think sometimes what you what is your what you're strong at is also your Achilles heel. And from experience of managing others, I've sometimes overstayed with the empathy part and and give somebody more chances than they probably deserved, where if I'd leaned into more compassion and telling them the, some of the reasons why they weren't performing and give a bit of an action plan. Um, that would have been a lot more compassionate to them and I think would have had better results for everybody. So that was a big learning for me early on in my career. Wow. An overplaying of a strength by the sound of it. Great example. I'm sure many of our listeners are thinking the same thing. So yeah, but great example. Thank you, David. So let's build on that a little bit. That's sort of given us a hint of you a little bit along the way. But tell us your story, David. Where, where, where did you start out and how did you end up here? Yeah, so obviously this isn't, I'm living in Australia, but this is a, an English accent and uh, originally from Lancashire. 
uh, until I was about four years old and then moved over to Germany um, with my young parents and yeah, lived there for, for six years actually. And I suppose that's where I, I really developed a sense of the importance of sport and teams because in Germany, I, I really struggled with being able to connect with the other children. It was a different language. It was a different environment. But when we played sports, it was really gave me that sense of belonging and connection. And I didn't know it at the time, but that social capital has really stayed with me. And then we moved back to the UK when I was about 11 and into the northeast of England, somewhere called County Durham. And yeah, I went to uni in Middlesbrough, finished, finished there with a sports science master's and then lived around the northeast of England, worked in football and used to use football to tackle health, crime and employment and education. So a lot of social inclusion kind of stuff and, and using sport as a vehicle to, you know, to support others and, and engage disadvantaged groups. And then my father, unfortunately, got sick when I was 26 with um, with cancer, terminal cancer. And I moved in to look after him for three months. And and we had a, as good a time as we could and there was no words left unsaid. And, but after he passed away, I really struggled uh, being, being young and not having a father figure. And uh, it seems like a, a bit extreme, but when I was 28, uh, moved, moved, well, I emigrated to Australia to start a new life and, and thought I would get into football over here, but the infrastructure is a little bit different and, and had to kind of reinvent myself because I wanted to stay with my, with my, my bases. And I ended up in the aquatics and leisure industry. So I swapped football from the UK and into swimming and you know this country is a has a love of water lots of beaches lots of swimming pools and I've been working in that industry for 13 years and worked across five local authorities and worked in the private sector and then two and a half years ago with my fiance and business partner co-founded Collective Leisure which is a social enterprise you know I was talking about my dad one of these shirts here is, is signed by Wayne Rooney which he signed to my dad wow yeah yeah but it was a game he actually wore really and yeah and his 27th cap so it was really nice <laughs> oh that's amazing oh wow it's an amazing story David because it really charts the power of sport to, and sporting teams to build teamwork and I guess that's when we think of teamwork. That's that feels much clearer for us sometimes than when we look at other industries or other areas. But tell us, like from your experience, so this is something deep from within you personally, as well as something that you do professionally. Let's get to the nub of it. How do you build really strong teams? What do you see as the ingredients there to make that happen? Yeah, it's a deep question. I can only speak from. Obviously, my experiences, and everybody will take a different slant on this, but I think fundamentally you have to care about the people around you as humans. We all bring different experiences. We come from different backgrounds, different cultures. When you've had a leader or a manager and they really don't care for you and it's more of that top-down approach of telling you what to do, and that only gets you so far I think so if I was to strip it right down Pierre I think it's that authenticity and genuineness about caring for others and if you're all working towards something uh, you know a common goal and you're looking after each other I think that's when something really special can happen. I think that's such a good point David because putting human beings front and centre is what we need to do and often the desire to get the task done overshadows that 
and some of our research in squadifiers has confirmed that. So it's definitely work in progress. But we see the very best and worst of sporting teams when we watch them. So what have you, with a, with a real love for sporting teams and, and, and blending that out into the community work that you do, what do you see as some of the traits and characteristics that, that could really be valuable in any team? Well, I'm seeing the worst of sports teams at the moment with my Everton, oh, beloved Everton, not doing too well. So <laughs> I was sad about change. that. You're a Liverpool fan, then, I take it. That's right. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, I think we know sport can give us so much, can't it? You know, teamwork, discipline, hard work, you know, all these things that it, it can teach us. But if you take a team, for example, of football, if you will, 11 players, it really is about levelling the playing field. So you get out onto that football pitch and it doesn't matter where you're from or who you are. You're working towards, you're playing together as one. If there's some individuals and they're not playing together, we see this time again in sport, you all will not be successful. And the same principles and values of teams are in organisations. If you've got outliers who are working on their own and not part of the whole team, then I don't think you can be as effective as, as you should be. And just picking that up and drilling down into it a bit, David, talk, talk, expand a little bit on the challenges you've seen. I mean, where that, that sort of intent of care and putting humans first is, is so valuable and you'd think it would be widely embraced and it wouldn't be hard to build teams, but it is. What, what, what are the challenges you've seen along the way? Yeah, I think your challenges can be your biggest gifts. So that's where the learning is. And if I reflect on that question to some of the teams I've managed, I, I opened an aquatic centre in 2017 and after redevelopment in, in one of Australia's most multicultural communities, Auburn. And there was the council built five pools then. And with one of them, there was a modesty curtain around it. So uh, that modesty curtain there was to to break down those barriers for certain populations like people with disability, the elderly or women's only sessions because there's a high Muslim demographic around there. And three weeks after opening that facility, uh, we ended up on a program called Current Affairs, which uh, if you know Australia, it's quite a sensationalised program. It's not <laughs> and, the one you um, always want to be on, is it, really? <laughs> no, no, yeah, it's not. And uh, When you said I was on current affair and I said to you, in a good way, no, not in a good way. <laughs> and just for context, as I said, this, there was five pools there and I put a women's only session on for two hours on a Sunday. So there's lots of other pools to go and swim in. And it was really well um, participated and but the local media picked up the story, the Daily Telegraph, and said how, Austra how an Australian it was and it was going back to the days of apartheid. And then a few days later, it was on current affairs, as I say, and yeah, I was basically getting hate mail from Western Australia and calling me, you know, and all these terrible kind of words and terminology. And the reason why I wanted to kind of raise that example is is because principles and values I think are really important within teams even when you're being challenged by certain people within teams or the, or the wider community. So from that issue I want to talk about another program that we had there where I, part of my I suppose approach to managing that facility was to have a, a demographic of workforce that reflected the local community. 
So one one day I got a knock on my door um, from one of my duty managers. They basically run the operations of the facility saying, David, can you come and help us? With the, we've got these young people in the 50 metre pool who are just not listening and they're jumping on each other and diving in and I, I can't get them to stop. So I walked out onto pool deck and you probably know Stephen Covey really well, but one of his kind of mantras was seek first to understand before being understood. And before going in there straight away and saying, we've got these conditions of entry, you can't do this. From a human point of view, I asked where they were from and a little bit about them. And they were from Syria, Afghanistan and Iraq. Explained that we've got certain rules. And I said, but if you were interested in a job, come and see me afterwards. And uh, from that, we were able to appoint 10 refugees working at the facility. And they really took the culture of the facility, which was struggling at the time because I had a really young workforce from here to, to, to here. And uh, yeah, it was it was on SBS World News. and But that was a process in itself again, because some of the other Australian employees were saying, why are you giving these jobs to those people? So yeah, principles and values, I think, is really important within teams. So that's an amazing example of that inclusive leadership. And, and as you say, that asking, seek to understand, and then really being able to turn a situation around, which is opposite to being divisive or authoritarian or power, which, of course, we never see any of that type of leadership at all around us in the world that exists today. So how do you try and create that culture across the teams that you've got? Yeah, I think from the experiences that I've had, I'm, I'm, I've taken that and I've tried to bottle it up, Pierre, into the work that we do with Collective Leisure as a social enterprise. And we go back to the values um, and we have... Our values are called drive values and they're around distributed leadership where we take responsibility initiative at all levels. It's relationships where we build connection of trust, partnerships, inclusion, as you mentioned, and where we foster diversity, collaboration. The V is for vulnerability where we demonstrate courage and authenticity and the empathy bit. And where I said I, I overstayed earlier on in my career, um, we, we try and lead with that lead with empathy and compassion with that as well. So the distributed leadership is the really is a really important part of that. And because I think, you know, human beings have got wonderful potential, but you just have to be open to possibilities. And I think that example in the at, at, at Auburn, I was open to the possibilities of what that the, these young people could provide. But I think get, showing that care and support within teams and a really supportive culture, I think culture is so important. David, I mean, you've talked a lot about your organisation, the teams within it. You clearly have. A, it sounds like your mission is all about the community. Even the name of the even the name of the organisation implies this. Talk how, just zoom out a little bit, could you, and talk about how you go out to connect to the community and how you bring people together in that in that broader space. Yes, yeah, so I suppose our why is to reduce physical inactivity and improve population health. So that's quite big picture. <laughs> and while doing that, we provide access and training employment to people from marginalised communities through what you call WISE. So that is a work integration social enterprise. And our purpose is well-being without boundaries. So it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, we believe you have the right to be a well-being. And our, and our work typically is focused on education, services and opportunities for those most in need. And when you talk about zooming out, that's where we look to do it through a systems approach. So we co-create programs that work with, and I use that word really intently, with, not for, 
with communities and through that systems approach. So we're just trying to work from the organization to the community, to the system that we're in, which is always moving. And as we know, politically, environmentally, there's a lot of things changing all the time. So, and within the system, there's education, disability, academia, you know, government, the third sector, the private sector, where trying to work within that to, to come back to that why of reducing physical activity and improving population health, because we've got as huge issues around health inequality, not only in Australia, but obviously in England as well. So I suppose one project that springs to mind is a sportability club that we run uh, in Western Sydney. It's a weekly club and it's open to children and young people between the ages of five and 18. And it doesn't matter what your ability is or disability, whether that's intellectual, sensory um, or physical, we provide multi-sports and well-being programs. So it's about improving physical literacy and having fun and social. I'll be honest with you, I, I, sometimes when I'm driving now, I think, what are we going to, what's going to come up today? But because it's so diverse with the different abilities, but I always come away from there just feeling the most full and so grateful. It's just, it's amazing. I suppose the kicker with that is our coaches are from a refugee background. So again, from Syria or Iraq, and these coaches, they had no experience in delivering sports before, before that. Just a real appetite and a will to support others. And these, some of these refugees are from war-torn countries. You think about trauma, they've had it. And just giving them that opportunity and the care and support to see them flourish is amazing. And it's just that true inclusion then. We are delivering thing programs to, to marginalized communities but we're doing it with coaches from marginalized communities so it's uh, it's great to watch watch actually it's a really inspiring story david i'm sure i'm sure there are team leaders and team members here listening to this and thinking wow i thought i had diversity in my team or the who i'm working with and that is on another level what sort of things come out of that level of inclusiveness though david what would you see it's easy as you said just to see that as something that's challenging but what do you see coming out of the of that inclusive of that diversity of, of the number of people of the people around you so a good example of that is you sometimes never know what's going to come out of it I feel that everybody starts with a positive intention. But the example I will give is, and we've got young, one, one young boy called Thomas who would not get involved for the first three weeks, you know, um, autistic and um, just would not get off the side bench. We've got another boy who, um, Zaid, who's cerebral palsy, nonverbal in a wheelchair. And the way we got Thomas involved was to help with Zaid pushing him around the sports hall. Now it's an absolute love story. These two, soon as they walk into the sports hall, they're hugging each other. And that level of empathy that Thomas showed, his grandparents said he's never, they've never seen that before. And to put these two children together with such diverse disabilities, again, really, I suppose it's home around what inclusion is. Because sometimes I think we can put people with disability in one area and people who are able-bodied in another but when we're really looking at integrating diverse teams, I think really special things can evolve. And you, you touch on, I think the heart of humanity is, you know, we, we all like to feel included and we all like to feel part of something. 
And yet we're in danger of brainwashing ourselves that, you know, particularly in corporates or business, we have to divorce these strong personal connections and this being part of something because it's all about getting the task done. But I think, you know, you, your stories are illustrating just how important that is, that let's just push that aside. It's a basic fundamental need and there's nothing like kids really to actually probably teach that to us. Yeah, that connection we're all striving for it aren't we we're we're human beings not human doings as they say and you know i think again it comes down to care and i know i keep going on about that and the work that we do with a if we zoom out a little bit within community that that's a program delivering on the ground but when we're working with different organizations and different sectors within the system the approach that we take at collective leisure is to look at a network of cares so really understanding what the motives and what the what why is of the of different organizations and sectors so we can bring all that together. And sometimes the tension in the conversation is where the magic is. Being able to hold hold that space, it's not easy, it's uncomfortable. But we do all have a different lens. But if we can come together with a common goal, and for us that's reducing physical inactivity which is the fourth biggest killer in the world. And you look at chronic disease, one in two's got a chronic disease of obesity, of, of mental health, of heart disease. And physical activity could be, could be, is such a great tool to try and reduce some of these uh, wicked problems of our time. I believe that sport is not just something you help others to do, but that you have a sporting challenge of your own coming up. Do you want to share a little bit of that with us? Sure. And it's interesting when you talk about teams, because for me, teams can be two people. And and I'm on a, a wonderful journey with a man called Tim Green, who's actually inspiring me uh, weekly. Tim is legally blind and he went blind about 25 years ago. And um, he and I are on a mission to complete an Ironman in June, Cairns Ironman. And I've been fortunate to do a I've done five in my lifetime, but this one is extra special because we'll be on a tandem bike for the ride and I'm his guide and pilot. And for the swim and the run will be attached. So we'll be in close proximity for quite a long time. <laughs> they know each other pretty well. Yes, and he's on the back of my bike. And yeah, and so we will know each other very well. And we've been training for the past seven months towards this goal. And the reason he wants to do it is, is really an incredible reason is because Tim's got Stargardt's disease, which affects the central vision in your eyes. And unfortunately, his son, Harato, um, has been diagnosed with the same disease. And he's 10, um, was a fantastic and is a fantastic tennis player, but started to miss tennis balls. And yeah, they've realized he's got Stargast disease. So he wants to show him what's possible and, and complete in an Ironman. Oh, what an amazing example. And I mean, that, that will be, that would be an emotional finishing line. I would imagine for both of you when you complete that a huge journey. And then can I just add to that as well? And um, Pierre, that the beauty in this project is that he's the one who's teaching me so he's he's legally blind but he was he did do triathlons 25 years ago so when he's swimming behind me he's telling me you're not lifting your legs or when he's when we're cycling together i'm not spinning my legs enough so uh, he's the one with a disability but he's the one who's coaching me yeah it's a fabulous story to end on david and uh you you've really 
actually taken us to the warm heart of We Not Me today, the human beings that we all have around us and we and we work with and uh, cooperate with and collaborate with and the care that they all need. So uh, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today, David, and sharing your amazing story with us. Pleasure. And yeah, congrats to for everything that you do with the We Not Me podcast. It's fantastic. Thank you. The thing that really stood out for me from what David was saying was that piece when I asked him about challenges and he actually just flipped it completely on its head and said the challenges is where basically where the good stuff comes from. And I thought I've been thinking about that a fair bit, actually, what he said, which is, wow, instead of just constantly saying, I've got a challenge, I've got a challenge. Actually, I think David's mindset seems to be. Yeah, I've chosen to live in a world of challenge. This is all good. And actually, it's from that that I'm going to get the goodness. And that was incredibly inspiring. Constantly referred to purpose and values to keep himself strong in that way. I I, I thought that was, that's was that been entertaining my mind um, since he said it. Because sometimes when you're faced with challenges, it shuts the mind down. And when he cited that, ex- that, that example of when he walked over to a group of swimmers, better understand them and to seek to understand it's a conscious choice point and that's walking the talk and he actually was present enough and cared enough and was was walking his own values that he actually turned that challenge into a great opportunity and um, looked at it as a way to be able to bring them on board and provide employment you could see that yeah, really impressive. And I mean, <laughs> completely against the normal ethos of a swimming pool. I remember all those signs when we were being raised in the UK, which had a big sign of things you can't do, including petting, by the way. That's not an option. I but, know. You know. What Always. you do when you see someone messing about. <laughs> when you see someone yeah, in a swimming pool, you run. blow your whistle and sh- shout at them. Yeah. So the exact opposite of that. You know, can imagine someone, instead of the whistle, they come with seek first to understand. It's uh, quite. Yeah. I was a lifeguard in my earlier life and I did not seek to understand. I blew the whistle. So I've got lots to learn. Excellent. Excellent. I'm sure all of our listeners will be really inspired by that. And I think for any role, we don't have to be working in communities quite as directly as David, but there's some, there's something there for all of us, I think, which is yeah, quite inspiring. So Pia, who have we got next week? Who's going to continue, take us on our, on the next, next step of our journey? So this is, um, this is our last guest of this season. I can't believe it. We sort of raced through, galloped through and, and here we are. And we're going to be talking to, Suni Lobo, who is the CPO of Marquetta, and her experience, she's been a, as a CPO for a number of years, and her experience about what the trends are, really want to ask her what she's seeing, based in the US, but an international organization, loads of experience, what she's seeing for teams in the next six to 12 months. She's never dull and uh, incredibly informed. And yeah, she'll bring us the voice from Silicon Valley, I think. Uh, Can't wait to see Sunny next week. But that's it for this episode. You can find show notes and resources at squadify.net. Just click on the We Not Me podcast link. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share the love and recommend it to your friends. And as a special favor, please give us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. We Not Me is produced by Mark Stedman of Origin. Thank you so much for listening. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye.